back to the Sports Medicine Orthopod. This is Anthony Yu, and I am pleased to introduce this week's guest, Tony Wynn, also known as Endorphin Dude. If you're not familiar with Tony's story, it is a fascinating one, one of courage, one of perseverance. We're happy to have him share it with us. Tony was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in his late 20s, and after struggling with acceptance and management of this disease, he hit a, a crisis point in terms of his health. He changed his life, becoming a distance runner, and thus Endorphin Dude was born. Endorphin Dude has accomplished some amazing feats that I wouldn't think were even humanly possible, such as completing 52 marathons in 52 weeks, conquering ultra marathons, some of which have lengths of around 100 miles. They take over 24 hours to complete. This is really a triumph of the human spirit. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's a, truly a pleasure and honor to be here. You are living proof that sports medicine can exist in the opposite relationship we typically think of. So on this show, we talk about sports injuries that we, as orthopedic surgeons, can treat with our particular brand of medicine. Uh, but in your case, it, it was actually the sports that was the medicine to treat your disease, diabetes specifically. I'm, I'm happy to, to have you on to tell your story. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, where did you grow up, Tony? I grew up in the um, the Bay Area, in Cal uh, Northern California Bay Area. I grew up in um, Oakland, and um, we moved, we bounced around from um, places to places, Oakland, and then San Mateo, and um, yeah, so that's where I grew up. And I've heard you say in previous interviews that you're kind of like the fat kid growing up, the, the kid who was picked last for sports. How did that affect you psychologically, you know, as you were growing up in the Bay? Dude, it sucks. I mean, <laughs> it's like when they remember back when you were a kid, like in uh, elementary school and junior high school. So I grew up in the '80s. So um, I'm I'm um, 47. I'll be 48 this uh, uh, coming up uh, next month. And so I grew up in the '80s when the um, the big thing was the presidential fitness um, programs. So it's like all these kids um, were required to do these fitness tests, you know, like push-ups and pull-ups and run a mile. And um, we had to do stuff like that. And it was hard for me uh, being the fat kid. And it's just, it, 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 it's so demoralizing when all the other kids are super fit and they can run the mile in like six minutes or less. And they can do a pull-up, they can do like a real push-up. It was hard for a fat kid like me. And to be always picked uh, last in like the sports stuff, like P in PE class, like when we were playing dodgeball or kickball or whatever the sport may be, I was always the last kid to get picked. And it, it sucks. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Um, and, and, you know, for the podcast audience out there, Tony is an Asian dude. He's entering his late 40s, but he looks like he's 22. Uh, so <laughs> Asian people don't age. It's the beauty of being Asian. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I mentioned at the top of the show, you were diagnosed in, in your late twenties with type two diabetes. H how did that come about? So basically, um, kind of interesting story. I was going to, uh, travel to, um, I was like in my mid twenties when I, uh, was going to travel to Egypt for a vacation. So when you, when you travel to a foreign country like Egypt, you have to have all your, um, your tests, like malaria and your shots and things like that. 
And so I went to the doctor to get my malaria shot for my trip to Egypt. I was like 26-ish, 26, 27, whatever it was. And my doctor said to me that, um, that was when she first said to me, there's, there's a lot of sugar in your urine. And I was like, okay, whatever. She was like, you're pre-diabetic. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, so yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. I mean, I didn't really take it seriously. A few months later, um, I went back for my uh, follow-up appointment. And that's when she, uh, my doctor told me that, um, yeah, you're no longer pre-diabetic. And I was like, oh yeah, no longer pre-diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You're diabetic. <laughs> so, um, but that, it, it was one of those things where I was kind of like, okay, well, I'll, I'll just go on a diet, whatever, you know, I'll just lose some weight and I just will stop eating sugar, you know? And the lack of education that I had back then, um, for, for me personally, um, there was so much lack of education that I, that was the big disservice I did to myself, not educating myself. Because when, when, when back in the day, when I thought, oh, diabetic, that means I have to stop eating sugar. But, you know, everything has sugar in it. Carbs have sugars, you know. It's like everything you eat, you, know, you have to really uh, see a dietician to um, really kind of look at your, your diet. So sure. I, was, I was in denial about it. I was in denial. My doctor did um, prescribe a uh, low dosage of um, oral meds for me. And I just, I didn't take it seriously. And it was just one of those things where um, I just was a little bit nonchalant about it. I was like, oh, it, it can't happen to me. Come on. It, it can't happen to me. Did, did you have symptoms before then that looking back, you were like, oh, this was kind of weird and now it oh, kind of yeah, makes sense? Definitely. Like uh, excessive thirst mm -hmm. and um, just... Uh, all around fatigue and just things like that, you know, and I just figured, oh, because I'm working now, you know, I'm just kind of stressed out at work. You know, I just kind of made up every excuse um, in the book to kind of deny it, you know, so, um, so that that's how that happened. And then um, I just was in my little denial. And surely um, um, it, it got to the point where my doctor, I wasn't getting any better. And my um, hemoglobin A1C numbers kept rising. And so my doctor kept prescribing more oral meds. You know, like the dosage went up from, you know, a couple of milligrams to a couple more and a couple more. And I, I got into the whole attitude of, oh, okay, well, this is great because I can just take this magic pill and it'll regulate my uh, blood sugar. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. I mean, I'll still try to lose weight and I'll try <laughs> to do all that, but I have this magic pill now that I can, it'll, it'll be fine. And then it wasn't fine because um, I just got progressively worse and my numbers kept uh, rising and rising. And then sure enough, before I knew it, within a few years, probably just two years, I um, was put on insulin and, um, and insulin is no fun. I mean, it's no fun. You have to, I mean, on top of uh, injecting yourself in, into your stomach, you know, you have to finger stick every day, you know, like mm -hmm. at least four times a day. And, and that, that's not fun at all, but I was still in denial about it. I mean, I was just like, okay, well, my, my sugars are regulated now. I mean, I mean, my hemoglobin A1C is at 6.0. But that was because of the insulin, you know. But so that that was my problem. I just was not 
taking it as seriously as I should have in my late 20s. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be an orthopedic doctor talking about diabetes, which is never a good combination. But for the audience, there's generally speaking two forms of diabetes mellitus, what we call it. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease where your body actually destroys these very important cells in your pancreas called beta islet cells, which produce insulin. And insulin is a factor in our bodies that is important for the utilization of glucose, which is sugar. Uh, type 2 is where your body produces insulin, but your body is not really responding to it. It's what we call insulin resistance. And that tends to be diagnosed a little bit later in life. And, and generally speaking, as Tony was saying, insulin's not the first line medication for that, whereas versus a type one diabetic who doesn't make any insulin at all, that, that is. Um, so I think you were started on probably like metformin or some other medications yep. that are common with type two. But, but in folks where that blood sugar is not being regulated that well in a type two diabetic, it can get drastic enough where you actually need insulin on top of that. And it sounds like that was the situation for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and hemoglobin A1C is a marker of your blood sugar control. It kind of maps out how you've been doing over about a three-month period of time. And so if that's not coming down in spite of the, the medications, that, that's not just a good thing. Did, did diabetes run in your family at all? It does. It does run in my family. Um, not type one. So um, I can't think of, um, no, no, no. Uh, there's some type one diabetics in my family. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it does run in the family and it's, it's kind of funny because um, in Asian culture, I'm sure you can relate to this. Um, <laughs> by the way, you look like you're about 22. Well, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this um, is why we had you on the show. <laughs> um in, in Asian culture, you Asian culture, you don't talk about things. You sure. just don't, you know, you don't say I love you, you don't say <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know I got you. You know, so nobody talks about these things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really um sad because the the stigma, and not just in Asian culture, I think in general, the stigma behind type two diabetes is that you did it to yourself mm -hmm. because uh, you ate junk food all your life. You ate too much sugar. You didn't exercise. You did it to yourself. It's not like type one where you're um, born with it or like a disease where you're born with it, you know, right. type, or like a, a, a disease where it attacks you later in life that came out of nowhere, like cancer. With type two diabetes, it has such a stigma that people look down on that. It's, it's, it's sad because I remember when I was first diagnosed, I, I didn't talk about it to anyone. I was too embarrassed by it. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I mean, people found out because I got, I, I got syringes in my bathroom. You know, so people <laughs> started, you know, I'm probably on meth or I'm on yeah. something else. So I had to come to and say, no, I'm not on meth. I'm not on <laughs> I'm diabetic. And the reception I got initially from that was not of support. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in my, my very Asian family, it was very, I was judged for it and crit harshly criticized and it was my fault. So, um, but anyway, um, it, type two uh, diabetes uh, does run in my family. And mm -hmm. I uh, was the, the lucky one to have received yeah. it. You know. So. <laughs> You mentioned an event that occurred a few years later on April Fool's Day, April 1st of all days. Take us through that. What happened? 
Yeah. So basically, um, I had reached the highest level of my weight. I weighed in to, at 227 pounds. Uh, mind you, I'm only five foot five. So um, for my five foot five frame, 227 pounds is big. And it mm -hmm. wasn't just the fact that I was overweight. I was very unhealthy. At that point in my life, I was on the maximum dosage of insulin. I was on cholesterol meds. I was on blood pressure medication. Um, and we're not talking just one or two um, small dosages. We're talking the highest dosage of these things um, because I was that unhealthy. I was also working in a job that was extremely stressful. So that combination mm -hmm. of stress at work and uh, just poor nutrition, uh, a non-existent exercise routine, it, it just led to one day on April Fool's Day, I kid you not, no joke here, <laughs> on April Fool's Day in 2009, I came home from work and collapsed on my living room floor. I thought I was having a heart attack. And um, it wasn't a heart attack after all. Um, it was just, I collapsed due to exhaustion and just poor health. And it, that served as a wake-up call for me, a big, big wake-up call. And I knew I had to make some changes in my life um, if I wanted to uh, live, if I, if I wanted to see myself past 40 years old. I, sure. I, yeah, I just, I was like 30, 35 at the time, mm -hmm. I think. Um, um, yeah, so I, I knew I had to make some changes in my life and that's what happened. Yeah. And you started with just a walk around the block. I took a walk around the block. One thing I do want to say is, um, my, um, my dog totally freaked out when she saw me collapse on my floor. Dogs, animals, they know what's going on. Sure. They, they, they know. And my dog totally freaked out. And she just, um, I think she knew what was going on. So I took my dog for a walk around the block. And it was actually very therapeutic for me, probably for her too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that block that day was really good for me. And the next day I um, did it again. I took an, a walk for another, um, another uh, walk around the block. And then each day progressed to like two blocks and then three blocks. And that was basically the start of my, um, my, my change of uh, lifestyle. And then from there, you started getting into some, some competitive races, half marathons and things, things of yeah. that sort, correct? Yeah, it was one of those things where <laughs> I, um, I started losing weight and feeling good about myself. I was like sleeping better. I, um, you know, I was drinking more water. Um, I wasn't eating after seven o'clock and I found myself just kind of losing weight and my, my clothes are fitting. And I think within like the first four months, I lost about 30 pounds and I was wow. like, Oh, this, this is kind of cool, you know? And I said to myself, <laughs> all right, well, um, let's just keep at it, you know, and see how it goes. 
the last thing I wanted to do or ever thought about was running. Cause I, I don't run. <laughs> I was the fat kid who always got class in PE. I, I don't run. You know? So I, I just kind of like just kept up with the, um, the walking. Um, I did all these urban hikes all throughout San Francisco mm-hmm. and just loved it. Me and my dog, it was just me and my dog. And, um, and then it, one day, um, a buddy of mine said he uh, was going to run the San Francisco marathon. And uh, he said, why don't you come out and um, cheer me on at the finish line? And I remember saying to him, I was like, oh, that's awesome. What's a marathon? Like 10 miles? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I, I didn't know anything about running. I thought I thought a uh, 10K was like a tax return form that you yeah. <laughs> out, you know, or like an extension of your 401K. I, I didn't know right. anything. Um, but sure enough, I, I went to support my friend. And um, when all the runners were coming through the finish line shoot, uh, I felt that secondhand runner's high. And I was like, I, I want to do this. I, I want to run a marathon. And that's when I um, started training uh, for, my first, um, for, for my first 5K, I guess. <laughs> I worked my way up. So um, yeah. yeah, so that's how it all started, this whole running thing. Yeah, and you were, you know, the, the fat kid growing up this is like a brand new thing to you. What, what was that learning curve like? There was actually like things to know. It's not like you just go out there and you just run and that's it, right? Oh yeah, you know, that's the thing. So the first time I went for a run, I figured, okay, how hard is this? can it be? And it's <laughs> run, right. Right? So I had like these beat up old tennis shoes. I had sweats. Um, I wore like a cotton t-shirt. And the first run that I did, I... Um, I sprinted. No, <laughs> I don't know anything, you know. So I'm sprinting out, thinking that I can keep this pace, you know, for for uh, a mile. And sure enough, within like a few yards, <laughs> within a few yards, I I I I thought I was gonna die. And you know, so I I had to really um, really learn how to do this this uh, running thing. And fortunately I had a friend, a buddy of mine, actually, um, he's uh, uh, um, my, my old college roommate. He, he was, he's a runner. So I, I talked to him about it. I was like, Hey buddy, help me out. What do I need to do? What, what do I need? And so he kind of showed me the ropes, you know, it's like um, showed me kind of what kind of shoes I needed to get socks. Um, I needed like uh, tech shirts, you know, things that not, not cotton shirts. So there was, there was a big learning curve in the beginning of, uh, and that was just to uh, to run a 5K. There was a huge learning curve for me. So Sure, sure. I heard you speak before that you made this jump from half marathons to full, and even that was sort of a learning experience. You just thought, hey, my, my time's just going to double, like no big deal. But actually marathons are, you know, as challenging physically as they probably are mentally, I, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. And the thing is that um, what's really funny is that um, so? I I was a total newbie to this. My my initial thought was, if my five k time was this number, that means that my ten k time yeah. would be double that, <laughs> right? And so on and so forth, you know. And that that's just totally wrong, you, <laughs> you know. Like a half marathon. So when I ran my first half marathon, I ran my first half marathon in um, October two thousand nine. It was the so mind you, my, my wake up call happened on April 1st. So um, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So six months later, six months later, I ran my first half marathon. It was the San Jose Rock and Roll Half Marathon. Cool. And um, 
I, I took it very seriously. I ran that race in, uh, I think I finished it in two hours and 14 minutes, which is a very commendable time. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's a commendable time. I mean, it's not anything that will take me to the Boston Marathon, but <laughs> for, for my first marathon, I was super proud of myself. And I, I, I got cocky and I said to myself, oh, I just, I just ran a 2.15 um, um, half marathon. I can run a marathon in four and a half hours, just double the time. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's math. It, yeah, it, it's <laughs> math. Yeah, right, 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 math, you know. But it doesn't work that way because um, you can't just double the time because it, it's, it doesn't get harder double. It gets harder exponentially, <laughs> you know, because in, in the half marathon or in any distance, when you um, go longer, uh, there's this little thing called the wall. And yeah. everyone at some point will hit the wall, you know? So, uh, and that's, th that's basically why I came up with the whole endorphin dude thing, because I needed a creative and fun way to um, make my, um, the hard trainings interesting and fun. So I created this superhero in my mind and it was like a video game, you know, it's just like you, uh, you um, uh, endorphin dude, was out to save the world one couch potato at a time yeah and i'd be running along and then like every mile marker i would uh reward myself with like a power pellet you know uh -huh. uh, that would give me energy that came in the form of like a, a package of goo or whatever you know uh -huh. and uh, you know it became like a fun little video game it's like you you run along and you see like a biker and then you just kind of like uh, like in a video game, like punch the biker, you get two. <laughs> so, so I had to uh, find creative ways to make my my training runs fun, and that's basically how Endorphin Dude was um, uh, born. And one day, uh, my friend um, uh, dared me to wear a cape at a at a race, and um, she bought me a cape. And she's like, "I double dog dare you to wear this cape at one of your races," <laughs> and I was like, "All right, sure." And um, of all the races to wear this cape to, I did it at the Dallas Rock and Roll Half Marathon, where, um, you know, this is Dallas, you know, it's Texas, you know, and I'm like in a cape running a half marathon, you know, but, you know, I got pretty good reception from it. And um, it was fun. People were high fiving me. So I was like, okay, yeah, this whole cape thing is working out for me. So sure. I just, I became endorphin dude. How'd you come up with that name? Well, you know, and when that runner's high, you know, it's like the endorphins, you know, that, that runner's high that pumps through your body. I was just like, I like these endorphins. Yeah. And I was just like, endorphin dude. Yeah, that'll work. I mean, other <laughs> options were like adrenaline guy, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wanted like a superhero name, you know, right, right. But endorphin dude just stuck, which by the way, for a while, I was calling my dog the epinephrine pup. <laughs> I don't ever, I, I'm not a, I'm not a medical uh, uh, um, uh, I'm not a physician or, you know or, or a healthcare provider so I didn't really really know what exactly what epinephrine was but it just sounded good the epinephrine pup you know <laughs> it rolls off the tongue it rolls off your tongue yeah exactly you, you started doing marathons with more frequency and, and eventually you set this goal to do 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Correct. What and why? Well, okay, there is actually a reason for it. Um, so I joined a club called Marathon Maniacs. 
Mm-hmm. And basically, this is a club for uh, maniacal runners who like to run <laughs> marathons on a very frequent basis. Yeah. You know, like once a week, twice a week, seven days uh, a week. Um, it was one of those things where going back to the whole uh, being the fat kid who always got last, uh, picked last in PE, it was one of those things where um, in high school, I was never that jock. You know, I was never athletic. So it was always the guys who wore like the Letterman jacket, you know, they were really <laughs> cool. They hung out with the cheerleaders kind of deal. And with Marathon Maniacs, um, you have to qualify to get in. Um, you qualify by uh, the, the, the entry level is um, you get in by completing three marathons in a three-month span. Um, there are other ways of doing it, but that was the way I did it. So um, if you qualify to get into the Marathon Maniacs, then you get a singlet that says Marathon Maniacs on it. Because I had seen Marathon Maniacs on the course, you know, mm-hmm. all the races. And it was kind of cool. I would see their singlet. And, and there was like this natural bond with other Marathon Maniacs. And it, it just looked like a great kind of, uh, um, I don't want to say fraternity, but a great kind of social like fellowship. Yeah, fellowship, sure. thank you. Yeah. So I, when I ran my first uh, marathon, um, which was at the San Francisco Marathon. Um, and mind you, I did not just double my half marathon. <laughs> my, my first uh, marathon was San Francisco Marathon in 2010. I ran it in six hours and 11 minutes, I believe it was. It was, it was a tough, tough race for me. Sure. So it was supposed to be a, a one and done kind of thing. You know, I, I can tell the world now I ran one marathon. Yeah, but because of Marathon Maniacs, I was like, okay, I need to do two more um, in a three-month span just to get in uh, entry level, so I can get that singlet. So um, I went on to run uh, the um, Extraterrestrial Highway Marathon a month later um, in Las Vegas, and then in August I ran the Santa Rosa Marathon, mm-hmm. and so that qualified me um, to get um, into the Marathon Maniacs. Yeah. Once I got in, it was, uh, I, was, I, I was, I went from one and done to three and done. But the reason why that whole 52 and 52 happened is because when you are in Marathon Maniacs, there are levels that you can move up. You start with uh, gold, silver, uh, or I'm sorry, bronze, gold, silver, and it goes up to like palladium, uh, iridium, <laughs> you know, and, and the top level is titanium. Uh-huh. So, in order to get to titanium level, you'd have to complete one of the ways, the one that I did was 52 marathons in 52 weeks. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, it's good, I'm just gonna do this just so I can get, this is the thing that's so mind boggling. <laughs> there's no cash prize, there's no trophy. There's, there's what you get. No, 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 are you ready to hear what it is that you get? Lay it on me. Okay, I'll tell you what you get. If you are titanium level, you get 10 spinning HTML stars by your name <laughs> on the website. Totally worth it. <laughs> and I wanted those 10 spinning HTML stars, gold stars by my name. So, um, so I, I, I said to myself, I'm going to do it. And I basically had to run a marathon uh, I had planned to run a marathon every weekend and get it done. 
And then halfway through the year, I got injured. I, 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 I got sciatica. Mm. And so I had to miss a couple marathons. And I was like, oh boy, I, I'm going to have to do something about this, you know, because I, I, I started it, I have to finish it. So I had to double and triple up. So I had to do like uh, sometimes two marathons in one weekend, three marathons in weekend, and in one oh my weekend, God. <laughs> four marathons in four days over Labor Day weekend just to get it done. And sure enough, by the end of the year, uh, by New Year's Eve, I conquered my 52 marathons in 52 weeks <laughs> and got my 10 rotating HTML stars by my name. Are those for life? For life. Yes. For life, do you do you just log on to that web page every day just to see? <laughs> Marathon Maze keeps uh, uh, there's a database where you can load uh, update your your stat uh, like every marathon or uh, ultra marathons after. Sure. So I, every time I log in my yeah. uh, my my race, I'll I'll see the stars. <laughs> You're like, that's me. I did that. <laughs> did you wear the cape to each one of those races? I did, because I'm endorphin, dude. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, I'm picturing something like Forrest Gump, where it's just like, you know, more people are following you and noticing you as you're running across the country here. What, what was the reception like as you kind of became more of a name at these marathons? Well, it was kind of, okay, so it's really funny, because um, this was in kind of like the early days of Facebook and social media. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, at least, you know. I mean, this was back in 2009, you know. Right. And um, I created a, a Facebook page uh, for Endorphin Dude. It's called I Am Endorphin Dude on Facebook. Uh-huh. And um, I, I just created this page just for fun, just to post pictures from my races. And it, it just kind of grew. And then people kept seeing me at these races. I made a bunch of friends through Marathon Maniacs. And, um, and people just kept seeing me at every race because I was everywhere. Yeah. And I, I guess I became kind of like a – a little uh, running celebrity, I guess, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. It, it, it kind of, it's funny to me because it's nothing that I had planned. I only did it because it was just, I mean, initially the whole endorphin dude thing, I only did it because it was a means, a way of me, a way for me to creatively uh, get through my workout, you know, to get through the training. I never imagined that it would just blow up and I would become not a meme, but like a, you know, like a uh, social media um, sensation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You're like a, you're like a known figure at these races. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, you know, we could talk about, uh, it was over a decade ago, technology is so much better in terms of travel. You, you live in the Bay Area. It's not like they have San Francisco Marathon every weekend. So you're having to travel mm-hmm. to a lot of places over this course of a year. I mean, how did you do that? It, it uh, wouldn't probably be that hard now, but you know, you go on your Priceline app or something, but. Well, if I were to do titanium again, which I won't because it's a, it's a money sucker. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of money, you know, but the today um, there's marathoning running has become very, very popular. So um, in the Bay area, um, there's a lot, of marathons there's a lot of races marathons 50ks half marathons every week well not now obviously because of the pandemic yeah know? sure but um pre-pandemic and post-pandemic later down the line um you can find like um 
t- dozens of marathons within like a 100 mile radius every weekend on mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday. It that wasn't the case 12 years ago when I was yeah. doing this. I had to drive down to Southern California a lot. I had to fly all over the country um, to do these things. I I I I think I flew to like at least 15 states that year. I mean, I flew to Tennessee, Florida, Louisiana, um, all these, a bunch of East Coast, um, uh, Southern states, Midwest. Um, I, I probably did about 15 states that year. And as you uh, can probably uh, do the math in your head, it got really expensive. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm surprised I didn't have to declare bankruptcy by the end of my kingdom, you know. But I got those 10 spinning stars, the 10 spinning HTML stars. They will never take those away from you, Tony. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, completing these marathons is not just something you wake up and do. What, what was your training regimen like? See, sadly, there was no training. Um, I, I, it was one, and I was... Even though I had lost about 30, 40 pounds at that time, because I was running, if, if I were to do this all again, I would do it completely differently because what I did back in uh, um, the titanium quest was probably not the smartest thing, you know, because I was not eating healthy. I was mm-hmm. eating, you, you're running a 26.2 miles every weekend you're eating more, you know? Sure. And, and I was eating too much junk, you know? And um, towards the end of um, my titanium quest, I was feeling like, I was afraid that I was regressing and I might be, um, I would finger stick myself and I would yeah. see the numbers rise again. And I knew that, oh no, no, just because I'm running doesn't mean I'm healthy, you know? Sure. Because you can't outrun a bad diet, you know? So even though I was like running every weekend, initially my mind was saying, oh, I'm healthy because I'm running every weekend. No, that's not the case. Um, I was eating probably more junk than I should have been. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing my numbers like creeping back up. So when titanium, when I finished the whole 52 marathons, 52 weeks, I had to get serious again about actual training. And that that actually worked well for me because when I was – doing my 52 marathons and 52 week quests, I was just doing it just to get it done, just to get the numbers, the the statistics. So I was probably doing six, seven, eight hour marathons, just walking them just to get Uh it done. Right. And once that ended, I I said to myself, okay, I did the the whole titanium thing. Now I I want to do uh, quality versus over quality versus quantity sure so that that was when i really took my training um seriously and um lost more weight and um and started really working on uh training uh speed work and um endurance and nutrition and that was when uh my whole ultra um uh career if you can call it a career ultra thing (laughs) happened what what is an ultra an ultra is anything over the 26.2 mile distance. So it's beyond a marathon. So typically the ultra start ultra race, ultra marathon, the first distance beyond the uh, marathon distance is the 50 K, which is uh, 31 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, other standard ultra distances are the 50 miler, 
the 100K, which is 62 miles, the 100 miler and beyond. There, and when I say beyond, I really mean it because there are 200 mile races. There are 300 mile races. There's even a, um, a uh, 5,200 mile race that um, some friends of mine actually have completed. So oh yeah, there. that's what an ultra is. Uh, <laughs> when you're doing these ultra marathons, I mentioned at the top, some of these ones you've been doing are 100 miles. Do you ever just think, am I nuts? You know, every, <laughs> every second of every race, yes, <laughs> all the time. I, I mean, I say to myself all the time, this is just stupidity. <laughs> do this? It, I, yes, to answer your question, yes, it is, it is nuts. And I say that to myself every kilometer of the way, but more so like when you get deep into a race, like at mile 80. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad you said that because I grew up playing sports. Basketball is my best sport. I could play all day. In high school, I never wanted to come out of the game. But as I grew older and you're not playing basketball five days a week anymore, you know, I was like, yeah, I should take up running. And I've tried a few times in my life. And every time I get two blocks in, I say, this is the worst idea I've ever had. <laughs> so I, I applaud your perseverance. I mean, what, what is the bathroom situation on these races that you know, last over 24 hours. Well, that's the thing, you know, when you're doing, uh, when you're doing like a 100 mile um, endurance run, most, you know, you have about every typically four to six miles, there's an aid station, sometimes uh -huh. longer, sometimes less. The aid station gives you um, an assort, a buffet of food, you know, just oh, really? like, yeah, yeah there's that... like assortment of stuff like quesadillas, pizza, <laughs> peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, you know, yeah. things like that. So you're constantly eating, you know, because it's calories out, calories in. Yeah. And um, uh, some aid stations have um, porta potties, but the reality is that um, you use nature's porta potty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the reality, and and nobody blinks an eye. You know, it's like I'll be running along on a trail, and there'd be a female um, ultra runner, you know, uh, pulled aside uh, in a bush, you know, just peeing. You know, Doing thing. It's, just, it's just. You don't bat an eye, you know. You yeah. just kind of like this normal, you know. So yeah, nature's porta potty. How, how do you train for something like that? A hundred mile race. How do you train for that? So uh, to train for a hundred mile race, um, it's basically um, mileage. You just need mileage, and the key to uh, running. So I follow a a, a training plan, uh -huh. and uh, basically, um, you 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 put in. You have to train your your legs and your mind, your body and your mind to run through exhaustion. So you're doing things, uh, you're doing back-to-back -back runs on weekends. So let's say in a standard week, you'll do like on a Monday, you'll do six miles. On a Wednesday, you do four miles. On a Friday, you'll do three miles. And then on Saturday, you have to do your back, or on weekends, you have to do your back-to-back -back long runs. So on Saturday, you could run like maybe 28 miles on Saturday. And on Sunday, you run 18 miles. And you do this repeatedly. Um, until you uh, you do this for like a, a six month, depending on what your training program is, uh, you do it for a couple months and then you taper off. So right now, my my big race, the Western States 100 mile endurance run is um, in 33 days. So I'm at the taper point now. I've crammed in all my long runs now, my back to back. Uh -huh. And uh, so now I'm ready to taper off and um, I'm gonna back off on the mileage 
And then two weeks before the race, it's basically no more long runs uh, and no more running. It was just a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to be sedentary, but sure. I'll, I'll be walking and stuff, but I won't do anything that would risk injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And you've had some injuries along the way. You mentioned the sciatica and some, you, you've had some other um, injuries that have kind of delayed or, or derailed you for, for a bit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like, I, like what? I had um, a displaced patella. Oh, wow. Uh, in my, my left knee. And it, it was, it's actually a really strange story because it was a non-running related injury. I, I was in Vietnam with my, um, uh, it was a trip to Vietnam with my family. And we were um, uh, uh, doing a, a tour through the, uh, the blue, God, what, what was, God, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, anyway, we were doing, we were doing a hike um, in Vietnam. Um, you know, after this is all done, I'm going to remember it. Like, at two <laughs> no, I'll be at mile 84 of my next race. And I'll be like, oh, it was fast. <laughs> Anthony. Yeah, we have to do it again. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I uh, we were hiking and I um, banged my knee against a, a rock, uh, a rock formation. Yeah. And didn't really think anything of it, you know, at the time. Um, I just took some ibuprofen and things like that. Um, but it turned out that um, it was a displaced patella. Hmm. And um, that actually derailed me uh, from training um, for um, a few months. And um, I had to go through physical therapy and, and all that. So it, it was, it was not fun, but yeah, just things like that sciatica I've had, Yeah, um, you know, that was tough, but other than that, no major injuries. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is a grueling thing that you have taken on. And so I injuries are certainly a part of it to, right. or, or, or something to be, to consider. You mentioned Western States. What, what is that? I know it's something you're really looking forward to. Western States is a 100-mile endurance run that starts up in Olympic Village, um, formerly known as Squaw Valley, mm -hmm. um, and it's a 100-mile race and ends in Auburn, California. And uh, the thing about Western States is that it's like, so the Boston Marathon is to uh, um, road running as Western States is to um, trail running. That, did that sound like an SAT? Um, it was good. It was good. <laughs> we need like a colon in there somewhere. <laughs> I know. It's like, but um, so Western States uh, for for trail runners, for um, uh, trail ultra runners, uh, Western States is it's our Super Bowl. It's our Wimbledon. It's mm -hmm. our um, it's it's a big huge event, and to get into Western States, um, you have to qualify uh, to get um, a ticket into the lottery. And um, to qualify, you have to run uh, a race that's on the designated list. So typically, it's either another 100 miler or a 100K. And um, it's not just any races that you can do. To be a Western States qualifier, there has to be some level of difficulty, some degree of difficulty. So, um, so fortunately, I've been able to qualify um, a few times now. I've qualified six times now at races that are not necessarily easy. I mean, no hundred miler is easy. You know, every hundred mile is tough, you know. But, Sounds incredibly hard. <laughs> <laughs> but Western States qualifier, there has to be some degree of difficulty. So sure. um, I um, had been trying to get into Western States for many, many, many years. 
Um, and I finally got in. So basically, when you qualify for Western States, you get a ticket that you that goes into the lottery. Um, and um, don't quote me on the numbers here because I, I right now my mind's not working properly. So I can't remember. <laughs> so don't quote me on the numbers. But um, I believe um, the last lottery that uh, we had, there was like 7,000 applicants vying for uh, like 269 spots oh, wow. or whatever. Not great odds. Yeah, the odds work against you, um, or they're not in your favor, I should say. Um, I think there's 369 total runners. So they, they block off 100 for like the elites and the sponsored uh, runners and stuff. I believe it's 369, um, but I'll have to look up the numbers later. But um, so I got into Western States through one of the um, – if you work at an aid station – um, every aid station at Western States are given a ticket that they can uh, give to any volunteer at that station. So I had worked at the mile 78 uh, aid station, which is uh, called the Rucky Chucky River Crossing. At mile 78, you have to cross the American River. So you're literally, you have to like go into the river and cross it to get to the other side. <laughs> And as a volunteer at that aid station, which is totally awesome, we stand in the river holding the cable and directing runners um, uh, as they cross the river. So sure. I, an example of what I did at the river is I, I'd stand there in the river, um, I'd hold onto the rope, and a runner comes in, and I would say, okay, watch out, there, there's a rock right there, you know, you, you'll be slipped right there. Um, but in the next couple uh, steps, there's going to be a big dip, so just be careful, you know, things. So that's what you do, you know, sometimes I'll throw in, like, uh, uh, there might be piranhas, but yeah. there's the sharks, you know. <laughs> yeah, you want to inject some humor for your runner. Sure, life, sure. You know? yeah. So both runners <laughs> like to be engaged like that. So I worked there for five years, and on my fifth year, I um, was awarded the designated runner ticket, and um, and I was just over the moon because I had been working so hard to get um, to get into Western States, and then the pandemic hit, and they, <laughs> the race was canceled, <laughs> and they uh, they um, uh, fortunately um, every runner got deferred to uh, the following year, which is this year. So, yeah. um, so that, that's how I, uh, that's what Western States is. It's a very prestigious race and, um, everybody it's, 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 it's our Super Bowl. So it's right. a big deal for me. So I, I'm really excited. I'm excited. I'm frightened. I'm overwhelmed. I mean, it's, it's like an emotional roller coaster for me. Uh, the next 30, uh, three days is going to be a big emotional roller coaster some days I wake up feeling super excited. Some days I just scared out of my mind. But right now I'm feeling good because I ran a, a rock solid race yesterday um, with a lot of elevation gain and I, I'm feeling good. Good. What, what's your target time for this? Or you said you, you need to finish this race within a certain amount of time, correct? Okay. So for Western States, the, the, um, the time limit is uh, 30 hours. If you exceed 30 hours, if you finish in... 30 hours and one seconds, that's not a, considered a finish. So I have to get it done in 30 hours, under 30 hours. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Western States is that the intermediate cutoffs are very, very, um, very tight. So um, it's, it's really tough in the beginnings. Like I have to get to like the 50K mark in, um, in nine hours. And mm -hmm. then um, 
get to like the 50 mile mark at a certain time. And, certain I see. and then it gets a little bit more comfortable once you pass those marks. So I have to really push it the first 50 miles to ensure that I hit those intermediate cutoffs. Right. So, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, I'm targeting, um, uh, the golden hour, what the golden hour means at Western States is it's the final hour. So it's anyone who finishes after 29, like in the 29 hour range, mm -hmm. that's considered the golden hour. And, um, I, um, I have to look at it realistically and, uh, based on my training, my fitness level, realistically speaking, I am hoping to finish in the, uh, 29 to 30 hour range. Um, and, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm gunning for like a 2945 with like a good 15 minute cushion to spare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that's what it, I'm a back of the pack kind of guy. You know, I, 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 I'm in the back of the pack. I, I'm not going to be winning any awards at this, <laughs> at this race. You know, I'm not going to be winning an age group awards. Um, <laughs> to finish though is the, the reward. So I'm looking to finish. So, but to answer, since you asked the question, um, the time I'm shooting for is uh, 29.30 to 29.45. When you've crossed into hour 18 of an endeavor like this, like what is going through your mind? Oh, hour 18 is uh, not, uh, well, <laughs> in, in ultra running, um, in, like in a hundred miler, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in a hundred miler, the first 100K is just a warm-up. Yeah. The first <laughs> it's just a warm-up. It's what you can produce um, after that 62-mile mark in the final uh -huh. 38 miles that really will determine if you buckle or not. When I say buckle for uh, your uh, viewers or listeners who may not understand, um, in, in a ultra race, 100-mile race, um, the typical um, bling that you get at the end is not a medal. It's a belt buckle. Uh -huh. um, so, um, so that's, you, you'll hear the word buckle thrown around at ultra. So that, that's what that means. Gotcha. So, um, uh, the final 38 miles is what determines if you buckle or not, because here's, here's the deal. And this is the reality. Um, after mile 62, that's when the exhaustion kicks in, the sleep deprivation kicks in, uh, the nutritional um, nutrition problems kick in sure sometimes it kicks in earlier but you know hydration you know all the things that uh you fear most happens i mean it will happen it's inevitable so um to answer your question what do i think about at mile 62 70 whatever i think about i go from one aid station to the next agent i have to think Okay, I have X number of miles to get to the next aid station. Once I get to the next aid station, my crew will be there. I will take a big uh, uh, gulp of my coconut water. You know, I, I'll tell my crew, get me that quesadilla. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I want mayonnaise on that quesadilla. <laughs> you, that's what you're thinking. That's what's on my mind. And um, most of these, most trail races, um, they don't allow headphones so you know oh, wow. for, for safety reasons you know yeah sure so um you, i don't listen to music you know yeah um but fortunately um after mile 60 um most races allow you to have a pacer or a safety runner um so it's someone you run with so yeah. for western states i have two rock solid uh, pacers who have gotten me through um a couple of hundreds before 
So mm -hmm. I know that by mile 62, I'll be able to, I'll be able to pick up my first pacer. And it's great because they keep you kind of in line, you know, they sure make sure you eat, make sure you drink, you know, they, they, they tell you jokes, they do whatever it takes to get you moving to the yeah. next location. So, um, so fortunately in the later uh, part of the race, I have someone with me, so I don't have to think they do right. the thinking for me. <laughs> After you complete a race like this, do you sleep for like 20 hours straight? No, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the complete opposite. When I am done with the 100 mile race, I am so freaking wired because yeah. <laughs> I am so heavily caffeinated. Yeah. You know how much Pepsi I drink during a a uh, 100 mile race and all the roctane, the goo roctane with caffeine. I mean, I am so heavily caffeinated that I'm actually up for like another 24 hours. Oh I my never God. sleep. <laughs> After finishing 100 miler, I'm, I'm in bed just kind of like, all right. And, and, and you're, you're also really sore, you know, you just, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> everything hurts. Yeah. Miler, you know, yeah. everything hurts. So you're like in bed and it, it's really sad because my, my dog, her name is Chewbacca. She's a five pound uh -huh. Chewini. She is a half <laughs> Chihuahua, half uh, wiener dog. Um, after a hundred milers and she knows, she knows that, okay, he just ran a hundred miler. That means I, I won't be able to get my snuggles and things like right. that. I can't physically move, you know. So she she knows, you know. But yeah, everything hurts after 100 miles. So and um, to answer your question, no, I don't sleep. It's not until like uh, two days after when I can actually sleep. Interesting. <laughs> um, you mentioned with the pandemic, things obviously shut down in terms of the races. Uh, what did you do during this time to to stay in shape? Just train on your own. Oh my God, the pandemic. I, I, I'm i so glad that we're kind of reaching the end of the tunnel. I see the light at the end of the tunnel now with this pandemic ending. Yeah, um, it, It's been a struggle, the pandemic. Uh, the thing is that, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get into, I, I, I don't want to even get into the whole pandemic thing because it, it just <laughs> became this political issue. You know, it's like uh, people have strong opinions on both ends of the spectrum, you know, Absolutely. You, have, you have the anti-maskers on one end and then you have the, um, uh, you, you got to stay at home or sure. uh, you're killing uh, grandmas, you know? Right. <laughs> so it, it, it was so frustrating because um, having to uh, endure all that and having to endure people fighting about this. Um, I, I work in healthcare. I uh -huh. am an office manager at a physical therapy clinic. So I, am considered an essential worker. So I was working from day one of mm -hmm. this pandemic. And um, it was frustrating for me because um, I, on top of the working, I I was judged and criticized for some of the things I've done, like um, taking BART to work. For people who don't know, your listeners, BART is our um, Bay Area Transit um, system. It's, it's, our, it's our train. Yep. So um, people um, judged me initially when the, the pandemic first hit, like, why are you taking BART? It's like a cesspool of disease there and you're going to get COVID, you know? And I was like, oh God. So um, I, I realized that during the pandemic, everyone was um, sheltering in place. I still had to work. So I just kind of amped up my training because I 
I, I didn't want to end up um, gaining that COVID-19. Is it what they call it, the 19 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just, and it, it worked it, for me. Everything was closed in San Francisco, so I couldn't eat out every day. So I was saving all this money. I wasn't eating out, so I was packing my own lunch. So I found myself like in top shape, you know, uh, through this pandemic. And I just kind of, I just increased my, my training uh, because I knew that I, I had an extra year to train for Western States because sure. of the pandemic. So I took it very, very seriously. So I, um, I just trained harder and um, I ended up, um, I train better when there's actual races. When there's an, a race I can run, I treat it as a training run. And uh -huh. it actually works better for me because you can't really simulate a lot of the real life things that happen during a race. Sure. Like Mother nature throwing uh, a rain at you or uh, um, fighting a cutoff. If you're just running a training run on your own, um, it's a lot easier just to cut the, uh, the, the, the run short if you get tired or if sure. you run out of water. So that's why I like um, actual racing. So um, in other parts of the country, races were open. Uh -huh. So I, I, I actually said to myself, okay, I'm trained up and I need a race. And so I, I went to Ohio to run a race. Um, it was a 100-mile endurance run called Burning River. And um, I knew I was um, trained for it, but it was like the, the whole stress of going to Ohio during a pandemic. Sure. Because, um, you know, we're in a pandemic. And right. I, I got tested every three weeks because I work in healthcare. Sure. And it was required um, for my job to do so. And I did everything that I needed to do to make sure that I was safe. Because uh -huh. I'm dealing with patients and customers all day. Yeah. So um, I had to be smart about it, you know. So um, it, it was tough because um, going to Ohio, um, I, I got judged for that and criticized. I was like, why are you going to Ohio during a, a pandemic? And I just kind of like had to explain to people, okay, here's the thing. I, I'm safe. You know, I, I'm, I'm double mass at the right. uh, airport, on the plane, everything, you know. And I sanitize. I, I do everything that I can. Um, and, but I needed that race. I needed that training run. So I, I went to Ohio and I ran that burning, uh, burning river, 100 mile endurance run and finished that race. I finished it in about 20, I think it was like 29 hours and 24 minutes. And, yeah. um, it, it was exactly what I needed to do to get my mind, uh, and my body ready for Western States. Right. So, um, I did that. And then a few uh, weeks later, I think uh, th that was in August. And in October, I went to Arizona and ran another 100 miler called Havelina 100 and finished that one in about 29 hours as well. So I knew, uh, so in 2020, I actually finished two 100 mile races and qualified twice for Western States. Yeah. And um, it really kind of jump uh, started my training for 2021. And um, it got me excited again. Um, and so here I am now, uh, 33 days away, and I'm feeling, I, I'm going to say that I am uh, cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I think that's the best, most diplomatic way to say it, you know, cautiously <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> are, are there some, you, you kind of mentioned it, but there are some variables that you, you can't necessarily predict, right? And I guess maybe some of them are 
based on weather, uh, the course itself. You kind of have to be ready for you know the, the unexpected, I, I suppose. Yeah, you have to be ready for anything that gets thrown at you. I mean, um, there are things like Mother Nature. Last weekend, I ran a race up in Reno, and um, um, there was a thunderstorm. There was lightning, thunder, hail, uh, heavy winds, gusty winds. I mean, I was literally, um, I don't know if you read in the news, but um, over this weekend, there yeah. was an ultra race in mm -hmm. China yeah. uh, where 20, uh, 21 or 22 runners died of yeah. hypothermia. Right. And um, when I when I read that, uh, the, the news of that, it it actually terrified me because last weekend at my race, um, I no joke, I I felt like I was dangerously close to hypothermia. Some runners were pulled from the race because of the harsh conditions at mm. my race last weekend. Sure. And I literally got into the mile twenty six uh, aid station, froze my my fingers were frozen uh like uh like frozen fish sticks and um i i had to find creative ways to keep myself warm i'm, I'm gonna give you a little bit tmi right now feel free to edit this out later if, you, if it's for your no, this is gonna be good this is staying i i can tell it already <laughs> so i was so cold and shivering and so cold that um i i really did think i was dangerously close to hypothermia so i had to find creative ways to um to create body heat. So my, I took my frozen fingers and shoved them down my shorts. So <laughs> I literally had my fingers cradling, you know, my stuff, you know, in between my thighs. And <laughs> I'm running on this technical course, um, running up and downhill, rocks everywhere, like kind of running like a little like awkward gazelle with my hands down my shorts <laughs> shivering i mean my pace must have dropped to like a 20 22 minute pace because i was like awkwardly maneuvering <laughs> myself you know up and down these trails um but it was survival and it worked because it warmed up my 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 hands and and it, it was bad because when my hands were so frozen, I couldn't open the zipper of my hydration pack to get my nutrition out. I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I could not physically reach my, uh, the tube of my bladder from my hydration pack so I can drink water. So I was like, I knew that I was in trouble, not just because of the harsh weather conditions, but I wasn't eating. I wasn't yeah. drinking because I was too cold. So that's why doing what I did, you know, um, it, it made the difference because it warmed me up and I was able to afterwards open up, um, you know, and you know, I'm an ultra runner. I, I, I didn't wash my hands. Okay. <laughs> you know, yes. Okay. Whatever, you know, but it was, uh, it, it was survival. Those, those, those no judgment, no judgment is survival skills. <laughs> those are the kinds of things that you just don't, plan you know things that um you don't expect to happen at a race and um so um and that was early in a, that was only a 50k <laughs> that was only 31 miles that i ran you know imagine that happening at mile 83 or 84, yeah you know right. um but th that's what you do you just do whatever it takes to um to to get through the race it's uh, one foot in front of the other
Have you had the opposite experience where it's excessive heat? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at, uh, at Havelina 100, um, the, the, the race I did in Arizona after... Yeah, I, I was hearing in Arizona, I was like, oh, that's probably pretty hot out there. Oh, my God. So uh, Havelina 100 <clears throat> is, is uh, one big... It was one big... Um, it's a Halloween party race, you know, basically. Um, so, but because of COVID, um, the party aspect was taken out of the equation, but people still dressed up. So, um, I, <laughs> this was probably not the smartest thing to do, but, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a fun guy, you know, yeah. I'm, a mushroom, I'm a real fun guy, you know. So you had I, your hands down your pants and, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I didn't have my hands in my pants. Then, you know? But at Halloween 100, I, um, I wanted to dress up, you know, so when, when you're dressing up to run a hundred mile, um, you want your costume to be functional, you know, you want it to be. Yeah, you want it to be fashionable and functional, you know? Yeah. So I came up um, with a, um, a variation on Endorphin Dude. Because, you know, I've been wearing a cape all my uh, running life, you know? So I figured, right. all right, I'll, I'll wear a cape. But everyone knew me as Endorphin Dude. So I wanted to come up with something a little bit more, um, something different. So I came up with um, Endorphin Dude's um, uh, um, uh, superhero cousin, Mayonnaise Man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mayonnaise man sounds like he might have different goals than endorphin dude <laughs> i love mayonnaise i'm a big fan of the mayonnaise I, I i'm a big fan of the mayonnaise so i had a t-shirt made that had a jar of mayonnaise on it and i wore a cape um i wore a mask that said um got mayo so <laughs> and i carried around um um, um I, I wanted to carry around mayonnaise packets and give it to people you know like at the aid stations but um you know because of covid i can't really do that so i actually <laughs> i literally carried around a mayonnaise bottle during the race you know so and and that's the thing mayonnaise you know it's it's one of the standard aid station foods it's like potatoes you know you got potatoes if you had mayonnaise with you like a mayonnaise packet like at mile 84 you got a potato open up a mayonnaise packet, put it on the potato. Oh my God, you have instant potato salad. It's the 4th of July party, you know? Anyway. Makes those last 16 miles just a breeze. <laughs> but I digress. So anyway, getting to your initial question yeah. about the, the excessive heat. So it, it got, it, this is the desert, uh, yeah. the Arizona in the desert. So it got really, really hot in the desert. And here I am in all black. <laughs> I, you know, my mayonnaise man costume is a black t-shirt, black shorts, you know, and I have a cape on my neck. So you can just imagine like in the, like the mid afternoon, it was a scorcher and I'm in all black and I was like, Whoa, what was I thinking? You know? So, um, yeah, I've dealt with uh, excessive heat as well. You know, at burning river, you know, it was a uh, summertime in Ohio. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if you're uh, are familiar with the Midwest weather patterns, yeah. but not only do you have heat, but you have humidity. Yep. So in Ohio, thankfully I had an ice bandana where I had ice, in my bandana and I had where I can put ice in there. And that basically saved me because um, uh, at Burning River, when I got to the 50 mile mark, people were dropping like flies. They were just the heat exhaustion that some of these runners experienced, you know, it, it was pretty, it's kind of scary. So I've, I've experienced uh, both ends of the spectrum. 
Yeah, Burning River, not the most hospitable name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> Next week's race is in Devil's Anus. <laughs> um, I want to circle back to kind of what we started with, your diabetes management. How has that evolved over this past 10 to 12 years with, with the, the running, the training, the, the diet, the nutrition? So I am very proud to say that I have been weaned off all medications. So wow. no more Lantus, no more um, metformin, no more, um, no more cholesterol meds, no more heart uh, meds, blood pressure. Um, I, I manage it on my own through diet and exercise. And um, I, um, it's hard. You know, it's, it's not easy because um, that's probably the hardest part of, for me, the hardest part of um, ultra running is managing my, um, my diabetes, you know, and even though I am off all meds, I never tell people that um, I'm no longer diabetic because I think you, just because you weaned yourself off meds and just because your, uh, your numbers look solid, it doesn't mean that you know, you're, um, you're uh, in the clear. So I'm very upfront with people. I'm very honest and say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm type two diabetic, but I manage it. And I don't have any, um, I don't have to take any meds for it because I manage it. And I do uh, occasionally now, not on a daily basis anymore because I don't need to, but occasionally I will do the finger stick test uh, to see where my numbers are. And if I see that there's a spike, for whatever reason, I'll, you know, it's like a mini wake up call. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've worked so hard to turn my life around. And the thing is that life is precious. I kind of learned during the pandemic that, um, life is precious and I don't want to see my life come to a premature end due to poor decisions, um, regarding nutrition and, um, being sedentary. And that's why I'm very active. And that's why I love doing um, these races, not just the ultra marathons. I love the 5Ks, 10Ks, 100 milers, whatever. I love, I just, I love it, you know? And it's what's keeping me alive. And, um, and when I say alive, I don't just mean in the literal sense, but it keeps me emotionally alive. That's awesome, Tony. You know, we, from the medical side, we say you can do these things. You can manage type two diabetes with diet and exercise. And, the reaction we got is, we get typically is probably something similar to how you reacted when you were first diagnosed, which is like, mm, no, you know, I, I don't want to hear it. But here you are, living proof. It can be, it can be done, and it's uh, uh, really inspiring to hear how how you've come so far. And here you are, you know, you got a, you, it's like you got a new lease on life um, from from the decisions that you've made. Mm -hmm. Tony, thanks so much for spending the time with us. Yeah, um, definitely. Can we end with? Five questions with endorphin, dude. Yeah, let's do it. All right. You mentioned it briefly, but what other names did you consider besides endorphin, dude? You said adrenaline guy. <laughs> <laughs> was there a long list or you just were like endorphin, dude, that's it? You know, I think it, I, I don't think there was a list. I think it just was like endorphin, dude, that's it, yeah. you know. But uh, <laughs> um, adrenaline guy came up. Uh, it, it only came up because someone thought I was adrenaline guy. Oh. Um, I was like, oh, okay. That one might work. You know, um, um, it, actually, there's actually a funny story behind it. Um, uh, 
my girlfriend, um, when I first met her, it was at a race and she had crossed the finish line and I congratulated her. And she said to me, she was, uh, she said, Oh, uh, thank you. Adrenaline guy. And I was like, <laughs> Oh no, no, it's actually endorphin dude, you know? And then, um, yeah. And that's how we met. <laughs> and then a few years later we, um, you know, became an item, but yeah. when we first met, she, she had uh, read about me on social media and she knew, sure. who was, but she was like adrenaline guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what was your favorite marathon or marathon location? Oh, um, that's like asking, uh, who's your favorite child, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but if, if, if I have to, um, well, from a sentimental point of view, I would say the San Francisco Marathon because it was my first marathon. So from uh -huh. a sentimental point of view, San Francisco Marathon. But um, I'm just going to list two more for you. Um, I'm going to put uh, Disney World on the list, the Disney World Marathon, oh. because that's cool. not just a marathon. It's an experience, you know? Yeah. When, when you're running the Disney World Marathon, you dress up in a costume. You, uh, you know, you um, you take pictures with the characters, you know, along the course. Um, you ride the rides during the race. You know, it's it's an really. Oh yeah, yeah, it's an experience. And then the uh, the last marathon that I will mention um, is the New York City Marathon. Um, mm -hmm. That is an incredible marathon. I mean wall-to-wall -wall people screaming your name you're treated like a rock star every kilometer of the way and yeah. that's a race that i will never ever ever run again because i had such an incredible time it was such a memorable experience a life uh, not life changing but it was such a incredible experience that i don't think it could ever be replicated so uh -huh. i'm never gonna run again because i want that to preserve that feeling for the rest of my life yeah. new york yeah, city yeah. marathon very cool. For the Disney one, you have to dress up like a Disney character? or You, you don't just... have to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it should be a Disney character. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you probably shouldn't dress up like a Golden Girls at the Disney marathon. You, know? <laughs> you show up as Bugs Bunny and like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it should be a Disney character. Yeah. Who'd you dress up as? Uh, uh, I was Russell from Up. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I have my, my whole, my, my group of friends. So we were all characters from Up. Uh, one year we did that, and then another year we did um, uh, the characters from that. Oh, you have kids. You probably know all these yeah. characters. Um, uh, what was that movie? Um, uh, Inside Out. Uh, okay. We did that. Yeah, sure. And uh, we were supposed to go to Disney World this year, but because of the uncertainty with, yeah. um, with uh, COVID, um, I was, we we're going to do the Little Mermaid, and I was going to be Sebastian, you know, oh, cool. under the sea. <laughs> under the sea. Yeah. You run it just like the park is just running regularly. There's yeah, well, they, uh, um, the the race is open before the uh, the race happens before the park opens. I got gotcha. you. Okay. But they open up uh, some rides that you can oh, jump cool. on during the race, and it's, <laughs> it, you only run through um, like just a, a couple miles through mm. through the park. Um, other parts are like behind, you know, the, yeah. the park and you know backstage and all that. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Number three. What is the worst mile or, or marker point during an ultra marathon? God, um, every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair um, enough. Okay, let me see. Um, I I would say um, the worst the worst mile is probably mile. I'm gonna say forty for me personally because it's kind of like. 
um, you've just hit the 50K mark, but you're like, oh God, I still got 100K to go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have to do, I do have to tell you the best mile marker, you would think it's 100, right? You would think, sure. no, yeah. the best mile is 80. And I'll tell you why. Because by the time you get to mile 80, you're less than a marathon. Away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Easy. <laughs> 20 miles, less than a marathon. It's nothing. Yeah, easy. <laughs> but yeah, it's at that point um, at mile 80 where nothing really matters anymore. That blister you have in your toe, yeah. it doesn't matter because everything hurts. Sure. Everything hurts. So you just screw <laughs> it, you know. So yeah, mile 80 is the best. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know you said on the ultra marathons you can't listen to music, um, but d do you listen to music when you when you train on, on these oh, yeah. on other races? Oh, so yeah. what what is your go-to song to get you pumped up for a run? Oh my God. I wasn't expecting this question. <laughs> um, uh, okay. I'll we keep it spicy on TSMO. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. This might sound really odd, but um, I, I have to answer this question uh, according to what is on my iPod. Um, sure. Um, it, it's probably really unexpected. And your, your uh, listeners are probably like, huh? Um, <laughs> It's Vivaldi, oh. winter, and and I'll tell you why. I, I listen to um, a lot of classical music uh, during a race because it it tells it paints a story, you know, uh, classical music. Yeah. Um, with Vivaldi, like uh, there's uh, four seasons: uh, uh, fall, winter, spring, summer, and um, the violins, the piercing violins through winter, gets me moving because. It just, it feels like I'm in a horror movie and some, a serial killer is painting. <laughs> so when I hear the piercing violins, it's, it makes me run faster. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so to answer your question, yeah, I, I'll say Vivaldi. Okay. All right. I, I was not expecting that answer, but a uh, great answer. Okay. Last question. Number five with Endorphin Dude. You've spoken before about using your story as a way to help others, even just one person at a time, you know, that, that means a lot to you and you can see why. If you met yourself the day you were diagnosed with diabetes, what would you tell yourself? What would I tell myself? I would say to uh, myself, don't be too hard on yourself. And um, this is not a death sentence, um, but you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work for it. That's what I would tell myself. Tony Wynn, Endorphin Dude, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. What an amazing story. I can't wait to see it on the big screen one day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And um, truly an uh, honor and a pleasure to do this. I like spreading the word because um, I'm doing this for all the fat kids who ever got picked last in PE. You know, there, there is hope. So um, never give up. Absolutely. You mentioned your Facebook page. I believe you are on Instagram also. Is it by the same name? Endorphin Dude. Correct. Endorphin Dude. Okay. Well, check him out and check us out. We are uh, the Sports Orthopods on Instagram, Twitter, and Gmail. Tony, thanks so much again. We'll be rooting for you at Western States. Uh, we'll, we'll be commiserating with you at mile 40, but high five when you get to mile 80, and best of luck. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks for joining. Mom and Dad, have a good one.